0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7 as we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, just as to recap uh, this particular sermon, in Matthew chapter 5 and 6... Jesus articulates how his father's kingdom is different from the kingdom of this world. Jesus says the world or the kingdom of this world tends to look at the externals. He says my father looks at the heart. Jesus says the world values power and self-sufficiency. My father values tenderness and humility. The world says, invest heavily in earthly treasures. Go for the gusto. You only go around once. And Jesus says, my father says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All through these first two chapters, Jesus contrasts two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Which brings us to our scripture lesson for today in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, where Jesus turns his attention from his disciples and teaching his disciples to the crowd of people who have gathered and started listening in. And he essentially says to them, so how about you? You heard what my kingdom is like and what my followers will look like. What are you going to do with what you've heard? Which kingdom will you serve? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? And then in order to bring clarity to the decision that he's calling us to, Jesus wraps up his sermon with a series of illustrations. He calls us to make a choice. To make a choice between two gates, between two pathways, between two destinations, two kinds of fruit, two builders, and two foundations. In this message, we're going to look at just verse 13 and 14. So I'm going to invite you to stand and join me in reading these verses together. Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you again for your Son Jesus and Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this sermon, for it is truly life-changing if we will apply it. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand what you meant in these verses that we just read together, and Lord, that you would um, soften our hearts to receive what it is you want to show us, that you would focus our minds, remove distractions, and then, Lord, you'd give us the courage to respond in whatever way you would have us to. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In 1979, Billy Graham did an evangelistic crusade in Melbourne, Australia. And someone who heard him speak wrote the following editorial in one of the newspapers. After hearing Dr. Billy Graham, I am heartily sick of the type of religion that insists that my soul... And everyone else's needs saving, whatever that means. I have never felt that I was lost, nor do I feel that I daily wallow in the mire of sin, although repetitive preaching insists that I do. Give me a practical religion that teaches gentleness and tolerance, that acknowledges no barriers of color or creed, that remembers the aged and teaches children of goodness and not of sin, if in order to save my soul I must accept such a philosophy as I have recently heard preached, I prefer to remain forever damned. Now there are many people in our world today who would agree with the person who wrote that editorial. These people are content to live their lives quite apart from God. They have no concern about what God desires for them or for that matter, what God expects of them. They really don't care about what happens in the next life. Now, even though I hurt for the spiritual condition of these people, I respect their honesty and their forthrightness, and for having made a choice. An unfortunate choice, mind you. A fatalistic, hopeless choice. But nevertheless, they've made a choice and I can respect that the people I am most concerned about are those who have not yet made a clear decision for or against Jesus and see no urgency to do so or perhaps even more those who think that they've made a decision and would even say they believe in Christ but besides attending church periodically they live like they don't know Jesus or as if Most of what Jesus taught in the scriptures, most of the things he commanded isn't true or doesn't apply to them. You see, sitting on the fence of indecision is still a choice. To fail to make a decision is to have made a decision. You know, all the way through the scripture, God calls for a decision. Joshua said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Elijah the prophet called his people for a decision when he said in 1 Kings chapter 18, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And of course, Jesus calls us here to a decision in the passage that we just read a moment ago. Now, the metaphor that Jesus gives here is straightforward enough. We're to picture two gates, two pathways that lead to two destinations. The first path is wide, and its gate is wide. It's a very popular, a very exciting Road because it's like driving on Germany's Autobahn, fast and free with no spiritual stop signs or spiritual speed limit warnings. Initially, at least, the wide road is easy. It's very appealing. But Jesus says it leads to destruction. Now, the other path is narrow, and the gate into it is small. Though the narrow way is open to all people, it isn't very popular because it's the way of the Sermon on the Mount. It essentially calls us to live a life that cuts against the grain of our culture and essentially invites us to come and die to our pride, to our desires and our selfish ambitions. It is not an easy pathway. And as a result, relatively few travelers are to be found on it. But it leads to life, said Jesus. Eternal life and a full life. A truly satisfying, fulfilling life here on earth. Now God has given us the freedom to make choices. In some matters, we can choose between several options. But Jesus says here, When it comes to spiritual matters, there are really only two options. Two gates, two doors. You have to make a decision. There is no sitting on the fence in this matter. For you cannot walk on two roads in two different directions at the same time. You have to make a decision. Jesus said there is only one way into the kingdom of God, and it is through the narrow gate. Now, let me give you a little bit of background to what Jesus was referring to when he used the imagery of a gate. You see, in that day, during the dry summer season, the shepherds would take their sheep far away from their village in order to find fresh green pastures to feed them, and they would be gone for weeks at a time, and at night, they would look for some natural kind of enclosure or if, that didn't, if, that, if they couldn't find that, they would uh, build some makeshift enclosure around the sheep to keep them from wandering off and also to protect them from predators. Now, unlike the sheep pen back home, this makeshift shift enclo- enclosure had no door. And so once the shepherd put his sheep in the enclosure for the night, He himself would lay down across the opening. It is in this sense, the shepherd was the door or the gate. And there was only one way for a sheep to enter or to leave that sheepfold. And that was to pass over the shepherd. You see, in the most literal sense, the shepherd was the door. And that is what Jesus was referring to when he said in John chapter 10 verse 9, I am the gate. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That is what Jesus meant when he said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I invite you all To enter into my kingdom. But you have to enter through the narrow gate. And that narrow gate is me. Now I don't need to tell you that this did not go over very well in that day. Particularly with the religious leaders of that day. This is the primary reason that false accusations were drummed up against Jesus. And why he was ultimately crucified. And this is also... The reason that many people today accuse Jesus and his followers, I might add, of intolerance and of being narrow-minded. Now, in our culture, it is not a compliment to be called narrow-minded. Narrow-minded or narrow-gate theology sounds so discriminatory. It sounds so politically incorrect. And yet, Jesus doesn't backpedal. He doesn't kind of pull his disciples off to the side and say, So, what did you think of my sermon? You know, uh, did I set the bar too high? Was I a little bit too demanding? You know, should I back off anywhere? Give me your thoughts. No, he says there's only one way to enter the kingdom of God, and that is through me, the narrow gate. You know, I for one would not be comfortable with a doctor who is not narrow minded in his practice. I would be nervous being on an operating table at the best of times, but I would be hyperventilating if just before I was put under, the doctor said to me, oh, by the way, Pastor Schorr, I am sick and tired of there being only one way to do this operation. It's so narrow-minded, yeah? And so if it's okay with you, I'm going to ignore standard procedure and all the research, I'm going to experiment on a hunch that I've had for some time, which I think as a somewhere, eh, you know, 10 to 50% chance of, you know, you making it. What do you say, Yeah. Nine. I'd say, not on me you don't. I'm all for the narrow-minded approach, thank you very much. See, we understand this in every area of our life. If we own a car with a diesel engine, which I happen to own, we have no problem accepting the fact that even though we have the right to fill the tank with gasoline, <laughs> someone in my family tried to do once, but we won't <laughs> talk about that. If we wanted to keep running well, we need to be narrow minded and fill it only, only, with diesel. If we want to start our car, we need to be narrow-minded and use the one key that starts that car. You see, you look at all of life, including scientific research, physics, chemistry, mathematics, all are based on some very narrow-minded assumptions called laws and facts, which the best minds today will refer to as truth. Dare we use that word? Now you see, we see this kind of narrow-minded thinking undergirding much of our experience, and we accept it as true. And yet, as soon as we enter the spiritual realm, some people just assume that all the rules change. As if God, who created and ordained the natural laws that we find in our physical universe, including the law of gravity, as if God just ignores all all the principles, all the laws, just ignores truth when it comes to the spiritual realm. Well, Jesus puts that kind of thinking to rest. When he very matter-of-factly says, there's only one way. Enter through the narrow gate. So what's involved in entering the narrow gate? Well, to begin with, to enter the narrow gate, we have to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We have to believe that he is the, the narrow gate, the way to a full life here on earth and the only way to eternal life in heaven. And we, we just really can't be ashamed of that. We need to believe it. And secondly, to enter the narrow gate, we have to leave everything behind. Notice it says that it's a narrow gate. It has room only for you and none of your baggage, including your sin, your self-centeredness, your regrets, your hurts. We have to acknowledge our sins. We need to repent of them, which means turning around and going the other way. We have to acknowledge that we're on the wide road. We need to turn around and go the opposite direction on the narrow road. See, the narrow road is right smack in the middle of the wide road. It's just that it's headed in the opposite direction. You see, Jesus doesn't call us to go off and be a monk on a mountainside somewhere. No, he's calling us to live and to work among those who are walking or traveling on the wide road. It's just that he's calling us to walk in the opposite direction. To make the invisible Christ visible for all of them to see, to show through our lives that there is a better way to live. We have to leave behind our accomplishments. We have to leave behind our self righteousness or any notion that we are worthy to get to heaven in our own strength or through our own efforts. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the only one who can usher you into the kingdom. I am the way, the only way to eternal life. And so, folks, it is in him we must trust. Now, even though we don't uh, do this immediately or, or, or completely necessarily, we must resolve to shut the door or shut the gate to our past life, to leave behind our old way of life, including our pride and our self-centeredness, including our anger, our resentment, and our hurt, including our selfish ambition, our greed, our covetousness, our need to be in control, and sometimes even our friends and family who may refuse to accept our decision to walk the narrow road. Furthermore, to enter the narrow gate, we have to do it alone. Entering the narrow gate is, is like a turnstile. It admits only one person at a time. Entering the narrow gate is very personal. It is not a group experience. It may be a, you may be a member of, of a church. You may have been baptized. You might belong to a family who are all Christians. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have entered the narrow gate. It isn't something that you inherit from your parents. No, it is totally individual. You must make the decision to enter the narrow gate by putting your faith in Jesus and following Him on the narrow path. Fourthly, to enter the narrow gate, we need to count the cost. In verse 14, Jesus says, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. See, Jesus links the narrow gate to the narrow pathway. If you enter the narrow gate, you are committing to walking on the narrow pathway. Oh, you won't walk the narrow pathway perfectly. You will Perhaps even end up in the ditch from time to time. But as you've heard me say many times before, Jesus is not so much concerned about the perfection of your life as he is about the direction of your life. And when you enter the narrow gate, you're signing up to walk the narrow road. You are surrendering your life to the Lord. You are asking him to invade your life. You are giving him permission to change you from the inside out through the power of the Holy Spirit, to change your heart, to change your relationships, to change your attitude, your passion in life, your definition of success, to transform you completely. Entering the narrow gate involves more than just getting your ticket to heaven and then living any way you want. Because if that is truly where your heart is at, then, folks, I'm here to tell you that you will receive from Jesus precisely nothing. You may as well just keep walking on the wide road. You see, Jesus isn't playing, let's make a deal. Here. Now, I don't know. When I was younger, there was a show on television called Let's Make a Deal. I don't even know if it's on anymore. Maybe it's on just on reruns. I don't, I don't know. But how many of you remember Let's Make a Deal? Yeah, okay. So you understand. Okay. Many people in our day, they think that there are three doors that we can choose from. And only one has the bad prize behind it. As they see it, the prize behind door number one is eternal life. And it's for the really committed people, the radical people. The bad news prize, eternal damnation and hell, well, that's behind door number two. And it's reserved strictly for the scum of the earth, the rapists, the murderers, the child molesters, and the like. Now, many people don't choose either door number one or door number two because door number one is too radical, it's too demanding, and door number two is just really for the bad people or people who have No use for God at all. And so they choose door number three. A door for nice, law-abiding folk who strive to be good citizens and neighbors, who try to live by the golden rule, who give a few bucks to charity, go to church occasionally and serve the poor at the downtown soup soup kitchen as often as they can. From their perspective... What one believes doesn't really matter. It's what the person does is what counts. And as long as they're trying to be good, as long as they're trying to do good, they figure that surely they will be acceptable to God come judgment day. But look at what Jesus says down in verse 22 here in chapter 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus says, you may think because you're doing some good things that you should gain entrance into my kingdom. Let me be clear, Jesus says, You can be the greatest doer of good works there is. I mean, you can preach captivating sermons. You can pray moving prayers, and you can lead awe-inspiring worship. You can even drive out demons and do miracles. You can try all that you want to impress me with your self-effort. It doesn't mean anything to me if we aren't friends. If we don't know each other. If you aren't trusting me. And relating to me. At the heart level. Entering the narrow gate. Isn't about trying. It's about trusting. It's first and foremost. About trusting Jesus. And cultivating. A friendship with Jesus. Now other people choose door number three for a different reason. They believe that they can enter the kingdom not so much by doing right things, but by believing the right things. They spend most of their time studying, getting together to study and to debate with other Christians and to lament about how bad the world is and track down heresy and all that stuff. But often that's as far as it goes. While they vigorously will defend the validity of the Bible and and the deity of Christ, which is very important, of course, they will turn a blind eye to a whole bunch of things that Jesus said in the Bible. Like denying themselves. Like living simply. To give generously to the needy. To not store up treasures on earth, but to invest in heavenly treasures. To go and make disciples. Well, look at what Jesus says to these people, down in verse 21. He speaks to the other aspect of true discipleship. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying here to these folks is that just raising your hand to accept Jesus in a service or just believing the right things is no guarantee that you have entered the kingdom of God. Of course, we are saved by putting our trust in what Jesus has already done on the cross and not on the basis of our own efforts. But entering the narrow gate involves more than just hearing, believing, and acknowledging the truth in a prayer. No, it involves entering into a relationship with the Lord, walking the narrow road as His disciple, and doing what He says. Real faith always expresses itself through obedience to Christ and through acts of love. So hear me correctly. I'm not saying that what we believe is unimportant. No, what we believe about God, about Jesus, about the gospel, and an assortment of other essential aspects of our faith is very important because whether we realize it or not, what we do is determined by what we believe. But you see, the opposite is also true. What we believe... Will be proved by what we do. Faith without works is what? Yeah. So make no mistake, door number three is really another wide road. And like door number two, it too leads to destruction. For the way which leads to destruction is the way of doing without believing or believing without doing. On the other hand, the narrow path which leads to life is the way of believing and doing. Put another way, while there is nothing we can do in our own strength to make us worthy to enter the narrow gate, the decision to enter the narrow gate assumes that we will walk with Jesus on the narrow road and obey him. When you enter the narrow gate through Jesus, you are dying to your pride, to your selfish ambition, and to every self-righteous attempt to do enough for God. You're inviting Jesus to invade your life through the Holy Spirit and to create in you His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His gentleness, His faithfulness, His kindness, His self control. You're inviting Jesus to invade your life and create in you His humility, His meekness, His graciousness, His purity of heart. You're inviting Jesus to create in you a burden for prayer, a hunger to experience God, a passion to hear His voice and to do what He calls you to do. Friends, believing is not just saying, I accept the facts. Believing is giving your life over into the hands of the one that you say you believe in. Entering the narrow gate isn't just going to cost you something. It's going to cost you everything. And that's why we need to count the cost. The Bible tells a story of a rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking the key to eternal life. Jesus presented him with a test to see how committed he was to God. And he did quite well, except for one area. And there's usually just one area, isn't there? Jesus said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and come, follow me. In essence, and Jesus' concern here is, is he knew this young man, his sense of security was based not on God, but on his stuff. In essence, Jesus said to him, your trust in your possessions is the one thing that's keeping you from fully trusting me and you won't be able to enter the narrow gate until you release your iron grip on your stuff. Which leads me to ask, is there anything that we're hanging on to with an iron fist that keeps us from fully trusting God and doing what he calls us to do? Daryl Johnson gives a helpful illustration to help us understand how our trust in Jesus evidences itself in doing what he asks us to do. How trust and obedience go together and need to go together. Let's say that I'm not feeling well and so I go to see my doctor and he checks me out and he prescribes a cure. And, And let's say that he says to me, so here's what I want you to do. Every day for the next week, I want you to eat at least three servings of vegetables and three servings of fruit. I want you to avoid all sweets and junk food completely of any kind. I want you to drink eight glasses of water. I want you to walk at least two miles, and I want you to take these two pills. I said, okay, that sounds good to me. And you head out, I head out the, the, uh, out of the doctor's office, and I am so thankful for my doctor that I turn to the receptionist and I say, you know, my doctor is the greatest, isn't he? I mean, he is so good at what he does and he makes me so feel so cared for. I mean, isn't he wonderful? And the receptionist says, yes, he's wonderful, yeah. And then so forth. And I, and I go home. The next day, I look at these two pills. I take one. I ignore the other one. I have only one serving of vegetables. I can't stand vegetables. I drink only three glasses of water. I walk only one mile. And I sneak in a couple of Snickers bars. (laughs) And I'm thinking, you know what? This'll do. You know? I sort of did what he asked me to do. After all, I know myself better than the doctor does anyways. This is gonna work, I'm sure. And so this is pretty much what I do the rest of the week. So a week later, I go back to the doctor, and uh, he asks me, how you feel? And I say, terrible. And he says, oh, man, I'm surprised to hear that because what I prescribe for the condition you have usually really helps. So did you do what I asked you to do? And I say, well, sort of. And he says, "Um, what do you mean by sort of? Did you do like I said? Well, not completely. So you're telling me you didn't do what I asked you to do? Well, I guess so. So tell me, do you want to get well? Well, of course I do. Well, then why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Don't you trust me? don't you have faith in me? Of course I do, doc. I mean, you're the greatest doctor a person could ask for. Yes, I heard you tell my receptionist that on your way out a week ago. So if I'm the greatest, why don't you trust me? Well, I do trust you. No, you don't. Because if you did, you would have done what I asked you to do. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. Faith, works are both needed. Entering the narrow gate means you are also committed to following and obeying Jesus on the narrow path. And so, Jesus, in essence, is asking us, have you really counted the cost of what's involved here? Because I'm asking for your whole life. I'm not asking for partial commitment here. I'm asking for all of it. I'm asking you to trust me completely, to have a beatitude attitude in your life, and to do what I tell you to do. This is not going to be easy, this is not the wide road. So be sure to count the cost. And that's a decision that we all need to make. Jesus goes on to say, I want to remind you of the destination of the road that you're on. The wide road leads to destruction. It not only leads to eternal separation from God in hell, but also robs us of the wonderful things that God intended for us to experience and to have in this life. Read the story of the prodigal son sometime in Luke chapter 15. He got tired of the narrow ways of his father. And he decides to live the fast life and to travel the fast lane on the wide road. And for quite some time, what happened down the wide road was exhilarating. It was wonderful. Life was good with lots of wine, women, and song. He loved his freedom. He, he, he often would say, it doesn't get any better than this. But over time, the music started sounding empty and repetitive. Over time, the wine no longer energized him. Over time, the women began to disappoint him and break his heart. And then his money ran out. His health broke down. And his life began to fall apart. While the details will vary, this story that Jesus told about the prodigal is the story of millions of people today who are on the wide road, It may all start out wonderful, but over time, it often leads to destructive living patterns, destructive relationships, destructive habits, and addictions. And even if a person doesn't get caught up in that stuff, usually in a rare moment of self-reflection, a person sees his life for what it really is, and it's pretty aimless, it's pretty empty, and it's very self-centered and loveless. And it feels so completely dissatisfying and rather hopeless. Because as the psalmist says, there is no true rest for our soul until we find our rest in God. Jesus said, that's what awaits those who are on the wide road. The narrow road, on the other hand, may be harder. But in the end, it leads to life real life, abundant life, the Sermon on the Mount kind of life. You know, I'm reminded of the movie Chariots of Fire, which tells the story of Eric Lytle, who was an Olympian and a missionary to China back in the early 1900s. Because of his Christian convictions, he refused to run a race that for him would have dishonored the Lord even though he was the favorite to win the gold medal. He was under pressure from his country. He was under pressure from everyone that he knew to run the race, to go for it, to take the gold for his country, and yet his convictions wouldn't let him do it. Earlier in the story, he and his sister were speaking about his life as a sprinter. And he said, you know, God made me for a purpose, for China but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, that was enough for him. Not gold medals, not the accolades of other people, but to feel God's pleasure. That God was with him, that God was pleased with him. In the same way, when we choose to enter the narrow gate, we may need to say no to some things. Some things that we like. Some things that we want. We may lose out on some really good opportunities. We may have to eat some humble pie. We may at times have to forfeit our rights, turn the other cheek. But if we're walking with Jesus on the narrow way, We will not only feel his pleasure, but we will enjoy his presence, his peace, and his joy with us daily. And as we do, we're going to discover that when all that we have left is God, he is enough. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm wondering, have you truly entered the narrow gate? And are you walking the narrow road? You know that you have, if you've repented of your sins, and you've asked Jesus by His grace to forgive you and to invade your life and to transform you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that you have, if you're walking with Jesus daily on the narrow path of total surrender and obedience to God in your life. Now, if this doesn't describe the state of your heart, then I'm going to ask you to make a decision the same way that Jesus called on those who listened to him that day to make a decision. It really doesn't matter how long you've been coming to this church. It doesn't matter how spiritual others may think that you are. Or how sinful you may think that you are but some of you would have to say you know I've been cruising on the wide road for some time now and it's taken me a while but I'm beginning to see that Jesus was right when he said that it leads to destruction I want out I want to enter the narrow gate walk the narrow path with Jesus If you sense God tugging at your heart and saying, come home, son, come home, daughter, then I'm gonna encourage you to get up, make your way down here to the front. Repent of your sins and by faith, embrace him as your savior. Enter the narrow gate. Others of you, years ago perhaps, entered the narrow gate, but you didn't count the cost. And you ended up in the ditch, and you've been in that ditch perhaps for quite some time. And you have to admit that your priorities, your attitudes, your your lifestyle, your passions are really more in line with the wide road than the narrow road. And you need God's forgiveness. You need his help to get out of the ditch and to restore your friendship with him and to begin walking with him on the narrow path that leads to life if I've described your spiritual condition at all I'm going to invite you to come here to the altar of the church enter the narrow gate through Jesus by faith or to be restored by Jesus to the narrow pathway that leads to life the narrow pathway of listening to him obeying him following him with all of your heart it's going to be humbling, perhaps. It's going to take courage. But see, that's what the narrow road is all about. I'm just going to wait for you now to come. Come as you are. Come and receive all that Jesus has for you. to ask prayer partners, pastors to make their way up here. Just be prepared to pray for those who request it. Those of you who have come forward don't feel any need to leave right away. Just stand as I'm going to have everyone stand in a moment. Just take your time with the Lord. Would you stand for closing prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for your Son, Jesus, who came and who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross to make it possible for us to be redeemed, for our sins to be washed away, for our ability to start over again through faith in you, a work that only you can do, that we can only receive by faith. Thank you for the reminder today, Lord, that when we enter that narrow gate we aren't just signing up to get a ticket to heaven we're signing up to a new way of life and most importantly we're signing up to a relationship with you and obeying you and following you and it's not always going to be easy you never said it would you've challenged us to count the cost because the cost can be great but Lord we know that that wide road that everyone seems to believe is the way to go, it leads to destruction, to major disappointment and despair. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for the narrow road, for it leads to life. And Lord, I pray that we would be prepared and willing to walk against the grain, that we would come out from among the masses, Lord, that we would be salt, that we would be light, as you've called us to be, to the people around us we're on this wide road and aren't even aware of their need for God may they see you in us oh Lord we need you can't do this on our own we need you fill us I pray live in and through us I pray for your glory and for the sake of a lost world that so desperately needs the Jesus that we know and love. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter